Okay. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. My name's Thomas. For those of you that don't know me, mixing things up this morning. It's good. So we're going to open up God's Word uh, just now, and then we're going to have a time of worship and response uh, afterwards. So uh, why don't... Tim, would you like to be our... Oh, some, where's the Bibles at? Actually, Tyrone, would you like to be our Bible distributor? Let's give a cheer for Tyrone. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love you to take a Bible. So put your hand in the air if you'd like a Bible this morning. So we're continuing our series called Resilient, looking at the life of Joseph, who was a man mightily used by God, and dealt a bit of a tough gig as we read through the passage and what he goes through and what he faces. In spite of all that, he keeps on keeping on. And it serves as an encouragement for us when life gets really tough perhaps when we have that unexpected financial hit, or our mental health takes a sudden downturn, or our relationships just seem really disjointed, when our marriage feels a bit rocky, when the enemy attack just feels relentless, and it's a mission to get through the week. We see with Joseph resilience. So this morning we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 40, and uh, just to give you a little recap before we read uh, the passage, we've seen the family dysfunction that has operated in Joseph's life and the jealousy that grew in his brothers. They dispose of him, they despise of him, and then they dispose of him, and they leave him for dead. But in the midst of that, and the place that Joseph has been left, we see God's protection, and we see God's provision in the most miraculous of ways. We see God with him in the detours. We see God with him when the temptations come. We see uh, God does have a plan in the mess. So I want to encourage you, we've done two talks before this one. If you've missed out on one, you can have a wee listen on our podcast on all good podcasting apps, such as Spotify. Uh, I can't think of another one off the Apple podcasts, and there are other ones available. Uh, so I encourage you to have a wee listen back. Let's read Genesis 40. And up until this point, Joseph has been banished, as I mentioned, sold into slavery, sold again. He finds himself with Potiphar, who is one of Pharaoh's officials. His wife tries then to sleep with him. He declines. He uh, finds himself then imprisoned as a result. But the Lord very clearly has his hand on him. So let's read Genesis 40. And it would help if I had the passage of Genesis in the Bible. And it'll be up on the screen as well behind me. It's a bit small, isn't it? You can read from the Bible or your smartphone. The cupbearer and the baker. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they'd been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in the master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. 
So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head there were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole. Wow. And the birds will eat away your flesh. Now, the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all of his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. It's absolutely true, and it's given to us as a guide and a gift to every single one of us. Amen. The story is once told of a farmer's donkey that fell down into a well. So just picture that. Farmer's donkey falls down into a well. The animal cried for hours at the bottom of this well, and the farmer was figuring out, what on earth am I going to do to get this donkey back? What am I going to do? Finally, he decided this donkey's too old. There's no way we're going to work out a way to get this donkey out of the well. We're just going to give up. We're not going to retrieve the donkey. And he invited all of his neighbors, everyone in the town, to gather around and to help him. They all grabbed a shovel. He said, everyone grab a shovel and begin to shovel dirt into the well. So they all did that. And at first, the donkey realized what was happening, and he started to cry horribly. Then, to everyone's amazement, the donkey quietened down. A few shovel loads later, the farmer finally looked down the well. He was astonished at what he saw. With each shovel of dirt that hit, uh, the, uh, hit the bottom of the well, the donkey was doing something amazing. He would shake it off and then take a step up. As the farmer's neighbors continued to shovel dirt on top of the animal, he'd shake it off. That's my little shake off impression there. And he'd take a step up. There's my step up. Pretty soon, everyone is amazed as the donkey stepped up over the edge of the well and happily trotted off. What it says at the end of this wee, wee story is, life is going to shovel dirt on you, all kinds of dirt. The trick of getting out of the well is to shake it off and take a step up. Each of our troubles is a stepping stone. We can get out of the deepest wells, just not by stopping, never giving up, shake it off, take a step up. I quite like that analogy, although I'm aware language of just shake it off. It belittles incredibly the things that we go through, uh, perhaps day by day and seasons that we're in, some of the very real life stuff and situations that we journey and battle with. And it might be for some of us, we have journeyed 
bottom of the well moments in our lives. But I love the picture of not giving up. I love the picture of not stopping. I love the picture of these weapons, this dirt that's coming my way isn't going to remain. I love the motion of moving towards God in the midst of valley moments. And they might not be big steps, but they're conscious decisions not to remain camped up and settling in a place that God does not want us to be, not want us to dwell, to be alert and to be listening. This life group season uh, that's just started, uh, I went along to our wee men's group that the wonderful Steve leads on Monday nights, and it's top-notch. That's what I put on my notes. It's top-notch. And if you're a man and you're not in a group, I've only been to one, and I'm like plugging it that much, uh, you'd be mad not to consider joining up. We looked at Psalm 23 the other week, and uh, it forms a little bit of the title for today's talk. And we see the declaration, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And we were to bring a couple of things from this psalm that uh, stood out to us. And we could probably spend a whole year, I was thinking, as I was reading that psalm, on that psalm, Psalm 23. And my one has been kind of ruminating uh, for a while in my life and coming up again and again. And I actually feel it's a word for, for all of us as a, as a church community. And it forms the title of the talk, even though, even though I walk through the valley, the deepest, darkest, toughest, dingiest of places, even though I walk through the valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I'm well aware for some of us here this morning, we're deep in the valley right now, and we're feeling attacked from every side. I'm well aware for all of us, we've all had valley moments. And I'm well aware for all of us here, there'll be plenty more. There'll be plenty more. But notice the language of David as he pens this psalm, even though I walk, even though I walk, there is a motion like the donkey in the well. There is a motion like Joseph in the prison. There is motion. He's walking. And Joseph in this passage shows and encourages us in three ways in the valley moments. Moments where it could be easier to hunker down. Moments where it could be easier to just see it through. Joseph teaches us three things. And the three things I want to look at this morning, it's always three things for me, isn't it? It's always three things. Maybe I'll branch out one day. Lift our heads is the first one. The second one is ready our hands. And the third one is steady our hearts. So that's where we're going this morning. The first one, lift our heads. Lift our heads. Before we lived in Inverness, we're here nearly six years now. Uh, myself and Mary lived in Aberdeen for 11 years. And we loved it. We had a wee flat just off Union Street, which is a quirky flat that I had before Mary moved in. Mary's already laughing. It had an attic conversion that had the steepest stair. It was like a ladder from the kitchen into our bedroom. Uh, it was very quirky, and it was a proper bachelor pad as well. I had a hammock in the living room. <laughs> I, I did genuinely have a hammock in the living room. I had a beer fridge. Uh, I had regular gaming nights. Then it got neutralized <laughs> into creams and greens, is what I've wrote down. <laughs> I'm not bitter at all. But I loved in that flat, 
as I walk to work. I love my walk to work down Union Street every morning in the hustle and bustle. And I remember after walking to work uh, one morning, my first appointment was an elderly man and sat down. It was to do something quite routine with his passbook or check his accounts. And uh, he needed some help. And he was asking how long I'd lived here. He obviously noticed that I didn't have a local accent. And when he left, he uttered words to this effect, you haven't seen the city in all its glory until you lift your head. I was like, that's quite a strange thing to say to me as you leave the appointment. You haven't seen the city in all its glory until you lift your head. It was a bit random. But on my walk home, I remember that afternoon and uh, or that evening around five o'clock, I just lifted my head. And I don't know if you've ever been in Aberdeen and you went down Union Street and you just lifted your head. The I'm not an architecture buff in any way. I'm not into, I wouldn't say, but this high street looked completely different. There was all these buildings that looked, just looked absolutely incredible at the top that I'd completely missed out. I was only getting half the story. I encourage you to try it maybe. Try it down Inverness High Street. Lift your head. But more important than buildings, we have a tendency when life is tough not to lift our heads and only have half the story in front of us that God wants to be part of. It's like we got the invitation, but we haven't properly read it. I do that all the time. <laughs> I haven't properly read the date or the time properly or where. Kids' parties at wrong times and wrong places. Inverness Vineyard Church, when life takes the detour, when it gets hard, let's not forget to lift our heads and see the full story, the full picture. If we look at verse 6 in the passage, we have Joseph here in prison, wrongly accused. It's all gone wrong again for Joseph. There's a big detour. And these two men, a cupbearer and a baker, they appear. And it's probably, commentators suggest, it's probably because there's suspicion that they've poisoned the king. Uh, perhaps the king had got sick, and they're like, who are we going to blame? It's got to be these two guys. Let's fling them in. They find themselves with Joseph here, and they both had a dream. And we read in verse 6, when Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in the master's house, why do you look so sad today? Notice the passage. He saw they were dejected. Feeling low, he noticed. In the midst of his stuff, he noticed. In the midst of his predicament, he noticed. In the midst of his valley, he noticed. He noticed someone else in theirs. Joseph was available even when life was really, really tough. And I, I seem to find this time and time again as I read God's Word, that valley moments don't deter God's people. Time and time again, there's a practice and an action of lifting our heads to see what is around us. And that's hard. That can be hard. But there's a teaching moment in it. There's a challenge in it. Joseph could have been so downtrodden and fearful in his own story and given up and kept his head down. Who would have blamed him? Who would have blamed him? But that's not who we are called to be. Even though I walk through the valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Joseph noticed others. And he not only noticed, but he engaged. So he not only saw it, but he engaged I wonder how often we can notice but not act, how often we can think and not follow up, 
How often in lifting, lifting our heads do we see but don't say? I know for me that is a challenge. That is a challenge. Maybe there's a, an encouragement in this for us to lift our heads, to see the full picture in spite of our struggles. Because if we know Jesus and trust Jesus and believe He is who He says He is, we can lift our heads and we can walk with a kingdom resilience and be used in valley seasons. So the first one is lift our heads. The second point from the passage that I want to draw out this morning is ready our hands. Ready our hands. My wonderful wife, Mary, who led this or is leading this morning, she's amazing. She's a nurse. She's a pastor. She's a wife. She's a mother. We've been married for 14 years, and there's something about being a nurse that I have seen firsthand that's quite remarkable, almost superhero-like. It's like underneath her everyday clothes is a nurse's uniform ready to be jumped out at any point and respond in emergencies. We've had people collapsing outside our flat, our top floor flat in Aberdeen. And I said, oh, Mary, somebody's collapsed. Before I finish my sentence, I see her there. The door is slammed and she's run down and she has helped that person. We've seen road traffic accidents. She's out and running forward right away. We were at a gig last year and someone took a nasty fall and she's, keeping, she's there keeping their head lifted and checking their pulse. We also, last summer on holidays, she she'd saved a little boy's life who was choking on his breakfast. And she gave Daniel to the hotel staff right away. And this person did not know how to hold a baby. I turned around and they're like this. And Mary's helping this little boy who's maybe six years old who was choking, had a, a bit of bacon lodged in his throat. Sounds like I'm doing a award speech or something, doesn't it? But my, <laughs> my point is, all these responses came not dependent on how Mary was feeling. And I know this for a fact, <laughs> but, but it's because our hands were made and ready to help in those situations. Something is in her that knows the spaces and places that the gifts that she has can be put to work. No matter the place, no matter the inconvenience, no matter the time, there's a responsibility to respond with what God has entrusted her in her skills and expertise. And God seems to time and time again place her in the most unexpected places. And it's like second nature. It's like automatic. It's like a pool to go. There's a need there. I can do something. The challenge I feel as I prepare this is why is that not the same for all of us when it comes to following God? Joseph is in prison. He has a gift for interpreting dreams. It's landed him a spot of bother, this gift. So he's ended up in prison because of it. I imagine that Joseph at this point of the passage must be feeling pretty gutted at this point. He could completely sign out. He could completely sign out. He could do his time, and in the world's eyes, that's a fair decision because where he's landed. But that's not God's assignment. He doesn't. Even though it's been turmoil after turmoil, valley after valley, after lifting his head and engaging with these two men, he readies his hands with the gifts that God has given him. Verse 8, we both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. It's amazing. Joseph uses his gifts 
in the most unexpected places. He says yes to God in the toughest of spaces. He continues to say yes to God in spite of where he has landed. He knew when it came to dreams, he had to be that person. I want to ask us, where have we perhaps signed out because of where we are right now? Perhaps we're saying, now's not the time. Perhaps we're saying, he can't use me just now. Who are we to say? What's in our hands? What are the gifts and talents that God has given each and every one of us that are uniquely ours? Joseph shows us that his yes comes in every season. And as we sing, even when I don't see it or feel it, you're working. We say, even when I don't see it or feel it, I'm saying yes. Well, there's opportunity to use what's in my hands. And there are seasons for self-care and rest. I know that, and please hear me with that. But this passage shows us God's invitations time and time again don't come at times that are convenient to us. I don't know if you've noticed that. It's like, no, 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 I'll wait until I'm ready. Time and time again, we can read in these words, you could chat to everybody here. Time and time again, they do not come at times that are convenient to us, but at times that are orchestrated by Almighty God. And we are called to ready our hands and bring our yes and trust that He will do what He wants to do with that yes. So I want to encourage us, church this morning, prayer warriors, would you rise up? Would you rise up right now? Encouragers, would you speak up? Now is the time. The prophetic, those who have a prophetic gift, can I encourage you to stir it up? Entrepreneurs, can I encourage you to get inventing? Writers, can you just get the pen and paper out right now? Artists, businessmen, musicians, teachers, mothers, fathers, grandparents, children, don't wait for a time that you think is right. Lift our heads and say yes to where God is needing you and where God is inviting you right in this moment. Now is the time. Now is the time. Now is the time. So we ready our hands and then just finally we steady our hearts. We steady our hearts. Several times in uh, my life I've had significant wobbles. You know when things are meant to go a certain way and they end up going completely the other way. Our little flat that I mentioned took over two years to sell. We had two offers fall through. There's only so much fresh bread you can put up with in your house as you're doing viewings. There's only so much that smell. I remember being at a festival with our friends, Mary and I were at, uh, with our friends James and Tori, who came to speak uh, last year. When we got that call of our second offer in our house falling through, and we just crumbled. We were just fed up. We were just done. And I remember we were in a wee huddle, the four of us, in the mix of like hundreds of people around us, and we just prayed, Lord, just be with us. We just feel rubbish. Mary and I also took over two years to have a baby. Seeing all our friends have babies and journeying that was really tough and painful. A mix of stuff, because you're really thrilled to see friends have these moments, but longing for them yourself. That was a, another real wobble. Also, with the health of our three children when they came in to the world, they came with health complications, which meant longer stays in hospital and just taking each day at a time. All these moments, and I could meant real offloads, and we, could, we all have these moments which really rock and shake us. I was on a call uh, this week 
on Monday night with all the vineyard pastors and we called in to the national directors of New Zealand who oversee the vineyard churches in New Zealand. So it was like eight o'clock at night with us. It was eight in the morning. They looked a bit like it was eight in the morning, but they shared with us a bit of their story. And oh my goodness, they were there when the earthquakes happened in Christchurch. And they were just sharing just around that, the devastation and the mix of that. And alongside that, whilst leading the church, they had family bereavements that they journeyed as well, close family. And the husband said, he had a moment where he said to his wife, you're not going to give up on God, are you? And she just replied, where else would I go? And that really landed me. Where else would I go? I can't. Where else would I go? In the mix of all this, I don't understand it. I'm crying every day. It's confusing. I'm angry. Where else could I go? It's tough, but we trust. We steady our hearts and we keep trusting when nothing is moving. Because we believe... As Inverness Vineyard Church, we believe God is who He says He is. We anchor on that, day at a time, hour at a time, if we need to. Truth, truth, truth. I wonder if Joseph felt wobbly after his dreams with the cupbearer. He made a little deal, didn't he? He spoke to him and he said, hey, see when you get out, put in a good word because I want out as well. Would you do that for me? So he asked him to speak well of him. And if it goes to plan, all goes to plan, Joseph's a free man. But in verse 23, the cupbearer didn't remember Joseph. He forgot him. What a gut-wrencher that must have been. Just picture it. Joseph saw his way out. It's all coming together. You can imagine him readying his stuff. This is the moment. He's out now. I'm making my plans. But he was forgotten. Have you ever had that when it's all mapped out, then all of a sudden, silence or a change in the way it's meant to go? It's not all, it, it can be really hard. It can be really hard. But we are called as people of God to hand over the when and the how. And that's hard. It doesn't mean we don't feel. It doesn't mean we don't get angry. It doesn't mean we don't ask questions. It doesn't mean we don't get upset, but it means we trust and we are real in how we're feeling before God and we bring Him our real selves. And maybe as I come to close, that's the invitation right now in this moment, this morning, to steady our hearts and to hand over to the Lord. I give you the when and I give you the how. And I'm going to keep trusting when it doesn't seem like anything's moving. So, even though I walk through the valley, we will lift our heads. What's the rest of the story in the midst of the valley moments? Don't keep it all about our story. Let's ready our hands. Why, where or why are you uniquely placed for such a time as this? What is in your hands for the people that are around you? And then finally, we steady our hearts. And the disappointments we cling on to the promises of a God of hope and futures and trust in Jesus' work on the cross. He will make all things new. Sometimes in the mess of life, that's all we have to cling to. But that's all we need. Even though, even though, even though I walk through the valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. Why don't we stand?